excited to be in church today. Let's make some noise today. Wow, what an amazing time of worship. Thank you to our team. Thank you for being here. Thank you to everyone who's here at Hilliard, at Polaris, at Short North, at Whitehall, uh, joining us online or TV or one of our many locations at prisons or correctional facilities all over this country. We are so honored and grateful for you. We're grateful that you're here today, wherever you're watching from. You can be seated today. Uh, I am excited to continue this series, privileged really to continue this series, Jesus Talks. Uh, my name is Dave Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of overseeing all of our next-gen ministry here at the church. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, also, uh, it is just an honor to be here, and uh, I count it a privilege anytime um, that I have the honor of being on this stage. And so I just want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Chad and Katie for uh, giving me this privilege and opportunity. And can we just put our hands together for our lead pastors over here? Thank you, guys. So today we're going to continue a series we started a couple weeks ago. We're going to dive into one of the parables, one of the stories that Jesus gave to us. Um, there's some, uh, a certain number of parables that were given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke specifically in all three of those Gospels. Uh, there are no parables in the Gospel of John. That's why we don't say all four. It's just in three of the four. Um, and so we're going to get there in just a moment. If you want to just like get ahead, if you're one of those types of people that like to just know where you're going, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke a little bit more specifically today. Uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we go any further, let me just say, Happy Father's Day. Come on, to all the dads. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And uh, I don't think there's really a better way to kick off Father's Day than just giving you some new material, dads. And so uh, I got a couple dad jokes for you. And so you might want to get that pen out, get ready to write. Uh, I've heard some good ones this week, actually. I don't know what it is, something about Father's Day, people just start throwing good dad jokes around. So I just want to give you a couple good ones, and um, at least to me they're good, so we'll find out in a minute. Uh, so what's the difference between black-eyed peas and chickpeas? That's the question. Well, black-eyed peas can sing us a song, chickpeas can hummus one. There we go. Okay. All right. All right. Room's getting warm. That's good. Uh, when I am uh, around my Spanish-speaking friends, I always use the word mucho. It means a lot to them. Okay. Okay. All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, why does Spider-Man's calendar have only 11 months in it? He lost May. Oh, I know, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, but it's still kind of funny, uh, but it's sad, but also a dad joke. So just, I don't mean anything by it. And then, uh, well, my wife says I have only two faults. Uh, one, I don't listen, and something else, I don't remember the other one, so that's... <laughs> There you go. Write them down. Save them for later. Uh, anyway. Now, I remember as a kid uh, growing up, I remember this show that I used to watch when I was younger. And um, it was one of my favorite shows. It was always running reruns and, and old episodes, vintage episodes of this uh, particular show called or competition called The World's Strongest Man. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, if you've ever watched the good old ones but I remember wanting to change my name when I was a little kid watching this because no one named Dave ever won World's Strongest Man. Like, <laughs> nobody named Dave ever even got close to the podium. It was always people by the name of, like, 
Magnus, you know, like Viking names. It was Jean-Paul or Sven or Vasil. Like, it was all these really cool names. There's a guy named Magnus von Magnussen. Like, how cool is that name? And nobody named Dave ever won. And so I remember as a little kid watching going, man, I wish my parents would have changed my name. Like, I have some Viking roots. Maybe they could have gone there, but they didn't. Now, only in recent years did guys like by the name of Eddie or Phil or Brian or even a Tom ever win, and these were real names of more recent years. But I remember that as a kid, and I remember watching the show thinking that these were the world's strongest men. Like, these were the strongest men that could possibly have ever lived. How could anyone be stronger than them until the next season? And then the next season, there was usually somebody that was stronger, Somebody that would appear, and they would beat the person who won the previous year. Only a handful of times did people win multiple years in a row. And it was crazy to think that there will always be someone who's a little bit stronger than you. And I remember that kind of memory locking into my mind. And the other thing I remember about these competitions was how hard they would push themselves. And they would do these wild and crazy events, like Back in the old days, they used to get inside of a little Volkswagen bug, and there was like little harnesses for their shoulders, and they would have to squat lift it and then walk a certain distance. Like, that's just wild. Or they would have to pick up these things called atlas stones, and they would have to put them on pedestals. And the pedestals got higher as the weights got heavier. And they would get to that last stone, and it was something like three, 400 pounds, and they would have to lift it up on this podium. And it was just wild watching these feats of strength. And I'll never forget thinking to myself, wow, these guys got there by just their hard work, by their grit, and they did it by themselves. And so in my mind, I thought as a kid, they were just competing by themselves. They worked by themselves, they worked out by themselves, they pushed themselves, and they got to this level of of athleticism and strength on their own. And it's probably one of my earliest memories of thinking with this ideology that's so common now of, I got this. And there's this ideology that kind of is surfacing, and it's so deep-rooted into into all of our culture of, I got this, that I can do it on my own, I don't need any help, I don't need anyone to come along, I can figure it out on my own, I can make this happen, because we live in a very me-centric society. We live in a me-centric world, everything is about me, everything is about me, my thoughts, what I want. And everything is about you getting what you want or what you think you deserve in life. And so we live in this world that's all about me. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks that I can do certain things by myself. We all do this, and unfortunately, a lot of us that are in the room that are dads, we also do this. We all do it, but I think dads, it's kind of a special trait that we all have of trying to do things by ourselves all the time. I mean, think about it. I, I do this at home. It happens almost on a regular basis. Uh, my wife will ask me, Carrie, she'll ask me to move a piece of furniture. Like, hey, could we kind of rearrange this room? I was thinking about something last night in a bad dream, and I thought we should rearrange our whole house. And so <laughs> I'll, I'll go to, like, rearrange something with her. And, and she's like, oh, do you want me to help you move that couch? And I'm like, are you serious? And like, I'll just go to grab the whole couch by myself. And <laughs> And I always like hurt something, I'll, I'll pull something in my back or oh, my leg, and so I'm like, okay, just, I'll, I'll make it happen. She's like, I can help you, I'm right here. And I'm like, no, no, I got this. And it'll take me like half an hour to move it across the room, but I will prove to her that I can do it. Or if you ever put together a piece of Ikea furniture, you know that you can't do things by yourself, right? 
This happened the other day to me. Uh, we were dropping our youngest son off at a baseball practice, and, and uh, we dropped him off, and we kind of pull into this kind of grassy space, and, and you pull in, and you pull back out onto like kind of a main drive into the area, and so I was getting ready to back out. There was a big car next to us, and I was like, oh, I can't see very well. Um, can you see if there's a car coming? She's like, oh, I can't really see either. And, and as I'm putting it in reverse, she jumps out of the car and goes and stands on the road, and she's doing one of these. Come on, come on. And I'm, in this moment, mortified, right? I'm like, get back in the car right now. Like, what are you doing? And so and she's like, I'm just trying to help. And I'm like, you're embarrassing me. Like, you're making it look like I don't know how to drive. Get in the car. And she's like, I'm just helping. And so I actually got upset and I apologized later because I was like, don't ever do that to me again. We're in public and you're making it look like I don't know how to drive. And so I know how to back up a car, you know? And so it, I went through this whole thing. And in my mind, here's what I was thinking. I don't need help. I don't need anybody to do this for me because I can do this on my own. And I know that that's petty, and I know that I'm probably revealing way too much about how my mind and my heart works right now, but it's the reality for me, and I would guess that it's probably the reality for you too, because we all do this. We all have these moments in our lives where we think that we don't need help or that we thought that we didn't need anybody to come along and help us because we could get the job done by ourselves, and then we finally realize that we needed someone to help. So let me just give you some wisdom to kind of give yourself a little bit of a, a pass on this. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the first part of the verse says this, the righteous may fall seven times, but still get up. In other words, good people struggle sometimes. <laughs> good people fail. And you can continue to read in the Proverbs, and it goes on and on and on about how much you and I need help. That we can't do it all by ourselves. And so we all fail. And usually we fail when we think we can do it on our own. I look back on those strongman competitions that I loved as a kid, and I realized something now that I didn't know then. They all had trainers. They all had workout partners. They all had coaches. They all had nutritionists. They, they had so much help in achieving their goal because they couldn't do it on their own. See, Scripture has plenty to say about how much we need one another and how we interact with one another. So if you want to write something down this morning, it's simply, we need each other. We, we just need each other. We, we can't do life by ourselves. Whether you're a father or not, all of us in this room, we simply cannot do life on our own. First Thessalonians says this, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Romans chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hebrews chapter 10, and let us consider how to stir, stir, shake up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God forgave you. Galatians chapter 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a lot of one another's in there because we need one another. We need each other. We were never intended to do life alone and you were not created by God to do it by yourself. So the question is, the question I have for you is simply, why do we keep acting like we don't need help? 
if deep down we all know that we need it, I know that I can use the help from my wife to move a piece of furniture. I know that I can use her help in backing a car out, but why is it so ingrained inside of me to reject help? Why is it so ingrained inside of my heart to push people away that makes me look somehow less than even though it doesn't? Why do we act like we don't need community when we all do? Why do we act like we don't need a small group when in reality you do? And we could go on and on and on, but really the question is, whose voice are we listening to that continues to tell us the lie that we don't need one another? There's a voice that's constantly telling us this, and so whose voice is that? Why do we keep believing a lie? Well, luckily, our parable today is going to lean into this thought, because Jesus has something to say about this. And rather than me trying to explain it, I think it's much better to look at what Jesus has to say. So we'll go right there. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I would encourage you to follow along in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. That's the particular version that we're going to look at, but if you want to just jot down where it is in the other two Gospels, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, Mark chapter 3, verse 27, and Luke chapter 11, 21 and 22. It's a very short parable, but we're going to lean into it because more than likely, as I really didn't, I didn't really pay attention to this parable much in my life. I'm sure I've heard it talked about or preached, maybe, but I don't know if I've ever really taken the time to think about it. So let me give you a little bit of context first before we dive into it, because I think we have to understand what is happening in the context of this particular situation in the Gospel of Luke. So if you go back one chapter to Luke chapter 10, you'll see that a lot is going on. Jesus actually pulls together 72 disciples, and he sends them out in pairs. He sends them out two by two to towns that he's going to go and visit. And he gives them authority, and he says, look, I want you to go to these towns. I want you to tell them that I'm coming. I want you to heal people. I want you to perform miracles. I want you to do great things, and then I want you to come back and tell me what happened. I want you to come back and report to me, basically, what took place. So he sends out the 72. And then Jesus and his disciples begin to move from town to town, continuing to heal people. They're casting out demons. They're performing miracles. And obviously, all of this would get a lot of attention from the religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are starting to take notice. They're starting to send people to ask questions. They're keeping a close watch on Jesus and whether or not this guy would cause a stir in their culture and their society. What, what he was really doing with these crazy claims that he was saying and, and the miracles that he was performing. Or if he would just be like one of the other false messiahs who had come and gone. Several of them had come and gone in the Jewish history. So soon to follow here in Luke chapter 10, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's the Pharisees sending someone to ask Jesus a question. And Jesus responds to that question as he often did with a parable. And then you have the story of Mary and Martha who invite Jesus into their home. And and there's a whole conversation that happens there that we won't get into. At the very beginning of Luke chapter 11, right before our parable, you have the disciples asking Jesus in a very honest, transparent moment, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And he gives them what we would refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And then we get to the context of our parable. So a lot is happening, right? Jesus' ministry is in full swing. There's a lot going on. And we finally get to this moment in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And here's what begins to unfold. The religious leaders are are watching Jesus. They're in the crowd. 
And the Pharisees see Jesus casting a demon out of a man who couldn't speak, couldn't see, and couldn't hear. But everybody saw this man. Everybody knew this man and knew who he was. And they knew that there was something afflicting him. And so Jesus comes along and casts out the demon from this man. And everybody saw the result of what Jesus did. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were blown away. So Jesus then has a conversation about spiritual warfare and these kind of two kingdoms that we'll talk about in a moment. He begins to have this conversation with the Pharisees. He begins to have a conversation with the crowd that's around him about what they're facing, what we all face. That there's this thing going on behind the scenes that we simply can't see with our physical eyes. And it's very similar to what the Apostle Paul would write about a little bit later in the New Testament in the book of, of 2 Corinthians. He's writing to a church, and here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not from the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey God. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, there is this war that's waging against us all, and it's not in the flesh. There's a war behind the scenes. It's a spiritual battle. And, and I know that what you're probably thinking is, is this going to get weird? Like, Dave, are you, are you like the guest guy that's going to get weird on us? And I promise I'm not, okay? We're not going to get weird, but we are going to talk reality. We are going to speak truth because this is what God's word speaks to us. So Jesus is referencing this war that every single person faces, all of us face. And then he talks about the interactions. Luke writes about the interactions between Jesus and these Pharisees. And if you know anything about the interactions between Jesus and Pharisees, they oftentimes were very tense. They were kind of uncomfortable because they would challenge Jesus and then he would respond to them in a way that they had no comeback to. And he would talk to them from a place of authority that they had not seen before. And this particular instance is going to be one of the last times that Jesus has a public back and forth with the Pharisees before he would go to the cross. And he, at this moment, he, he kind of stops addressing the Pharisees in public because he understands their hearts. He understands that they're not asking questions so that they can grow in knowledge and truth. They're asking questions to try to pin Jesus against the crowd or to break a law so that they can finally arrest him and have him executed. And so in this moment, Jesus realizes what's going on, and so he's pretty harsh towards them. And I want you to check out this verse in verse 20. It says, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's that kingdom of God language that we talked about in week one. As Jesus uses many times in his parables, he uses this terminology of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And I love this image. I, I want you to just kind of have a mental picture of this moment. Jesus is basically saying, look, it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons. It's like that, that bug that's annoying you and you just kind of flick it away. That's the power that he's speaking about. That's the power that he's referencing. Look, I have the power of God. The kingdom of God is here. And these demons are like little bugs that I can just flick away with the power of my finger. It's that moment as a dad when you hear that blood-curdling scream from the other room and you come rushing in because you think something, something terrible is happening. You, you think somebody's broken a leg. You think somebody's like 
done something crazy and, and you run in and it's only like a child or your spouse looking at like this spider that's kind of coming down and you're like, really? I almost pulled a muscle coming in here to do that. And, and you kind of walk over and you just kind of flick it away. And this is the image of what Jesus is talking about, how he handles demons, because it's the kingdom of God, it's the power of God that is inside of him. So it's this image that Jesus is painting so that he can tell us the parable of the strong man. So here's our parable for this morning, Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. I want to read it to you, and then we'll break it down a little bit together. It says, when the strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoil. Now, you could easily just read this and kind of pass over it and think this is not a parable. This is just a little side note that Jesus is giving. But it's an actual parable, and it's a story to reveal a truth. So there's a few things that we have to understand here. First of all, let me ask you this question. Who is the strong man? And your first thought that you have, who is the strong man in the story? If you're like me, the, the first time I read this, I thought the strong man was Jesus. So it's like, okay, the strong man's Jesus because Jesus is always the strong man, right? It's like he's the one who's powerful, and yet there's a stronger man. And if, if that's Jesus, then there means that there's somebody stronger than him. And so that feels weird that Jesus would tell a story that somebody stronger than him is going to come and overpower him. And it could be the cross, but he's not talking about the cross here. And nobody was more powerful than him at the cross. He submitted himself to go to the cross. So what they're talking about here is not Jesus as the strong man. It's actually Satan as the strong man. So if you want to write this down, the strong man is Satan in verse 21. Remember, he's coming off the heels of talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about Satan. He just cast a demon out of a man. He's been having this interaction with the Pharisees, talking about spiritual warfare and talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and Satan himself. So he's having a conversation about Satan. So when he says that the strong man in this story is going to be overcome by a stronger man, he's referring to Satan in verse 21. Now, before you think that, again, that it's getting weird, I, I promise you I'm not going back on my promise. It's not going to get weird. But I think we do have to understand that Scripture has a lot to say about this. So let me give you a couple references to kind of keep in mind. In John chapter 12, this is what Jesus says. The voice didn't come from me, but for me, but for you. At this moment, the world is in crisis. Now, Satan, the ruler of the world, will be thrown out. And I, as I am lifted up from the earth, will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. Jesus very clearly says that the ruler of the world is Satan. The ruler of the world is Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The little g God of this world is the devil. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So what, what, are, we, what are we understanding? What are we learning? Well, what we're learning is that the strong man is the devil, the strong man is Satan, the strong man is the evil one, the strong man is the little g God of this world. And that he is the ruler of this world temporarily. He has been given authority in the world that we live in 
temporarily. He's protecting what's his. He's protecting what's his. He's fully armed, and he guards his palace, as we just read in verse 21. His goods are safe. This is the work of the enemy. And so the question then is, well, what are his goods? They're not possessions. What are his goods? What is, what is the enemy trying to hold on to? He's trying to hold on to you and I. He's trying to hold on to the person who has yet committed their life to Christ, who has yet given themselves over to the lordship of Jesus. He's trying to hold on to what is his in this world. Because the enemy has one mission. He has one mission. He has, he has one mission only, and that is to try his hardest to keep people from coming into an understanding of who Jesus is. That, that is his only job. That is his only mission. That is the only thing he knows what to do, is to keep people from understanding who Jesus is and committing themselves over to Jesus fully. Now, stay with me here. This, again, it's not spiritual. It's not spooky stuff. What Jesus is drawing attention to is this. There are two very, very real and very different kingdoms at work. There is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and then there is the world's kingdom or the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of the little g God of this world. And that's it. See, there are two kingdoms that are constantly at war with one another that we don't see with our physical eyes. There are two kingdoms. There is God's kingdom and there is the enemy's kingdom. And between these two kingdoms, there is no other kingdom. There is no third option. There are two. So, so think about this. Why is the world so messy? I mean, Jesus answers so many questions that people try to use to push against faith. Why is the world so messy? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are there so many terrible, unthinkable atrocities in the world? Why do so many horrible things happen in our world? Because who leads this world? Who is temporarily in control of this world? The devil. And if the devil is in temporary control of this world, do you not think that it would be messy? Do you not think it would be chaotic? Do you not think it would be confused? Because it's who he is. He is a tempter. He is the father of lies. He has only one job and one job only, and that is to try to deceive you and I and the people of this world from understanding who God is. I mean, every temptation is a lie. And it is his only goal, it is his only aim, is to continue to lie to the people in this world so that they do not understand who God is. That is it. And you might be thinking, well, how could Satan be such a good liar? I mean, I mean, is he really that good? Or are we just kind of using that as an excuse? Well, if you go back in the Gospel of John, it's in the Gospel of John chapter 8, he actually talks about Satan a little bit. And that Satan was, was so good at lying that he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to join him. Now, you have to be a really good liar to convince a third of the angels in heaven to leave heaven and join you. And just think about this. This is a total side note. But no one ever tempted Satan. Temptation began with Satan. It is who he is. The lie is who he is. Nobody lied to him first. Nobody convinced him to do this. There's something inside of him because that is just simply who he is. So he's a great liar. And he's a great deceiver. And that's his only aim at you. And we could end there. 
and Father's Day would be depressing. Like that would be a very depressing Father's Day moment. But there's so much more. Because we don't stop with the strong man. We move on to the stronger man. And the stronger man, number two, the stronger man is Jesus. And this is where it gets good. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him and takes away his armor in which he trusted, he divides his spoils, there is a strong military-type language that Jesus is using here. He's saying, look, when a stronger man comes, he attacks him. He overcomes him. In other translations, he binds him. In other words, he is, he is militarily coming at him, and he takes away everything that he thought he trusted in. He takes away his armor. I mean, this is a, this is a Jesus beat-down moment. This is not a passive-aggressive, like, little fight. You know, this isn't like an NBA fight where everybody just stands back and is like, what, 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 and they don't want to actually do anything. This is like a real fight. And this is a full beatdown. And it's not just a beatdown. He doesn't just beat him. He takes away his armor. That's humiliating, okay? If you're in a battle with somebody else and you were to beat them and they were wearing armor and you're wearing armor and you come over and take their armor off of them, I mean, that's a humiliating defeat. And that is what Jesus is saying he will do to the enemy. It is a stronger man beating a strong man and not just beating him, but destroying him. And Jesus is trying to remind us here that we are all in a battle and we are all in a fight. We are in a war, so to speak. And he is helping us understand the work of Satan and his one and only purpose in attacking us is to pull us further away from Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter two, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant to his designs. We know his tactic. He has one tactic, and it's one tactic only. It's been his only tactic since Adam and Eve to deceive them about who God is, to lie. 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, so resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's with all of this in mind that here's what we have to understand. We have to be in a high state of readiness. And speaking of readiness, great message last week from Patrick. So we have to be in a high state of readiness and in a full awareness of the power we have through Jesus. We have to be watchful. We have to be mindful. We constantly have to know what the enemy is trying to do in every situation. But we also have to know that we don't have to live in fear of that because there is a power within us from Jesus that he gives to us. And so Jesus may be the stronger man, but so are you. Because Jesus is now residing in you. I mean, this is the great parable of power. And if that was the end, Man, we could walk away feeling pretty good, but that's not the end. Because there's one more verse. And as Jesus often did with his parables, he would leave us with a challenge. And so let me give you a challenge today. Whether or not you wanted this challenge, it doesn't really matter. You're here and I'm speaking. So here's the challenge. <laughs> verse 23. Check this out. Whoever is not with me, is against me. Now, you might have thought like this was like some cliche phrase that you saw somewhere else on, 
like Instagram or maybe you saw it like on a Hobby Lobby poster somewhere. It's not. <laughs> if you're not with me, you're against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you're not with me, you're against me. Two kingdoms, God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom. If you're not with me in my kingdom, then you're against me in his kingdom. And if you're not a part of my mission, if you're not a part of making heaven full, if you're not a part of gathering people back into the family of God, then you're over here and you're scattering people. You're pushing them away. Now, I've known plenty of people in my time in ministry who thought they were over here, but their only job was really over here. And they have been scattering people for years in the way that they treat people, in the way they don't love people, the way they don't like, welcome people. Like, there are people who think they're over there, but their behavior says they're over here. And so Jesus is using some pretty strong language here. So my question this morning as we end is what if we took this challenge from Jesus seriously? I mean, what if we understood that this is the challenge that Jesus is not just giving to people 2,000 years ago as the, the, the gospel writer Luke is putting this in, from pen to paper. What if we understood that he was speaking to you and I? That there are two kingdoms. And the question for you then is which kingdom are you standing with? I and mean, which kingdom are you standing with? Are you gathering or are you scattering? Are you doing everything that you can every moment of every day to bring people closer to Jesus? Or you are confusing people? Are you lying to people? Are you scattering people? And I think the best way that we bring people to Jesus is by understanding that we work together. That you are not on your own. You are not a solo act. There is no I got this ideology in the kingdom of God because I got this ideology is a lie. Because in fact, you don't got this. I don't got this. It's terrible English, but I don't got this. <laughs> I need Jesus and I need you. This church needs you. This, this whole community needs you because we are in a battle together. We are in a fight together. And there is no battle that I would ever want to try to face. There is no war that I would ever want to try to fight alone. So we need one another. The message translation says it like this in Romans chapter 16, and I think it's so beautiful. So while there has never been any question about your honesty in these matters, I couldn't be more proud of you. And there might be some of you today sitting here, watching online, watching from home at another location, that you, all you need to hear today is that I could never be more proud of you. That is God speaking to you. I could never be more proud of you. So I want you also to be smart, to make sure every good thing is the real thing. Don't be gullible in regard to smooth talking evil. So stay alert like this, and before you know it, the God of peace will come down on Satan, picture this, with both feet, stomping him into the dirt. So enjoy the best of Jesus. 
mean, what a beautiful picture that there is coming a day where God will land on Satan with both feet and he will grind him into the dirt. He will embarrass him in this war. And after he does that, he says, look, so enjoy the best of Jesus. Not then, but now. Enjoy the best of Jesus. This is an amazing promise. I mean, look at what it says. Be smart. Evaluate everything. Don't be fooled. Stay alert and enjoy the best that Jesus has to offer and enjoy it together. So there's two responses that I want to give us today, two challenges to all of us. One is, are you with Jesus? Are you with Jesus? I mean, he clearly tells it that there there are people that aren't with him. There are people who are against him because there are only two kingdoms. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm not fully into this kingdom of God thing. I haven't fully submitted my life to Jesus. I haven't fully committed myself to him. Can I just be really honest with you? If you are not fully committed to the kingdom of God, then you are still over here. Well, I never chose the kingdom of Satan. Nobody really chooses that. We choose it by default because we didn't choose to be a part of God's kingdom. And I know it sounds harsh and and we oftentimes don't speak harshly to one another, but let's just be honest. If you're not with Jesus, he said it, then you are against him. So this morning, I wanna invite you to be with him. I want you to, to invite you to stand with him in his kingdom. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. So if you're watching, if you're listening, and you wanna acknowledge that Jesus really is the Lord of your life, can we all just bow our heads and close our eyes for a quick moment? And if that's you today, I wanna invite you to pray a simple prayer. I'll lead you in a prayer, but it has nothing to do with my words. It's really your heart. And I wanna invite you to call on the name of Jesus today. Begin to pursue him. So Jesus, we thank you for being the stronger man. We invite you today into our lives. We admit that we have tried and failed because we cannot do it on our own. So today, today we ask for your help. Would you come into my life and would you change me? I invite you and your Holy Spirit into my life. I ask you to change me from the inside out to help me live for you and your kingdom. So Jesus, thank you. I give you my life, I invite you in, and I want to be a part of your kingdom. And it's in your name we can pray it today, in the name of Jesus, amen. Last thing is this, before we close and sing a song together with one little bit different way of ending our service. Let me just ask, are you enjoying the best of Jesus? I mean, are you really enjoying the best that Jesus has to offer you? Maybe you've given your life to Christ and maybe you've done your best, the best way that you know how, but maybe today you would realize that you've been taking it easy. You've kind of hit cruise control on your spiritual life. You've been kind of pulling back a little bit from pressing down the gas pedal and, and you're kind of coasting right now. And I think maybe today the Lord would speak to your heart and remind you that you're not being as alert as you once were. You're not being as watchful as you once were. Maybe to you who are in here as a dad, you're not fighting for your family like Jesus is fighting for you. And I know sometimes we we beat up dads in church and that's not my intention ever. That's not this church's intention ever. I grew up in churches that 
felt like every Father's Day was just this massive beat down and you walk away feeling shamed. That's not who we are. You're trying, you're trying your hardest. And we simply wanna come alongside of you and help you. We wanna support you, Dad, because we believe in you. But there's a thing that we all do as dads. We think we can do it on our own. You can't. I'm just telling you, Dad, you can't. I'm telling you, men, that you can't. You can't think that you're gonna make it through life on your own. And I know the world tells you that you can, but it's a lie. You need community. You need one another. So I wanna end today by inviting our dads, our dads in the house at every location to stand, just right where you are. Would you do this for me, dads? I, I know you didn't come to church to be pointed out, but would you stand, every dad? And not just our dads. So I wanna honor you, Dad, for what you've committed to, for who you are, for the role that you play, that there is a war against fatherhood in our world and in our culture. There is a war against manhood. There is an enemy that is out to take away from you what you want to protect. So we're gonna sing a song together, and I'm gonna ask the men to stay standing. And I'm actually gonna invite all of the men to stand because there are men in here, you might not be a dad, but you are a father figure to someone. And if you're not a father figure to someone, can I just tell you that there are a lot of single moms in this church and in our community who would love to know that there is a strong, godly man that they could look to, that maybe could help out with their kids in those gaps that they have in their life. So I'm gonna invite all of the men in the house to stand at whatever location you are, and we're gonna sing this song as a declaration, as a, as a declaration of the fight that we are willing to engage in, not just for ourselves, but for our families, for this church, for this community, and in this world. So as the team comes to lead us, I wanna pray over you, and when I say amen, we're going to sing together. So would you bow your hearts as we pray this final prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every father that is here today. We thank you for the gift of fatherhood. And we don't take it for granted at all. I ask today for your strength, for your supernatural strength to be upon each and every dad. Would you give them wisdom to lead their families well? Would you give them the strength they need to stand and fight for their families and for those around them that need someone to fight for them? And would you give them the ability to to influence every space that they have been placed in? Would you give them the ability to be a positive influence in every environment that they have been placed in, an, an influence of love and hope and peace? And it's in the name of Jesus we can pray this, that every man standing would say, amen, amen. Team, would you come and lead us in this final song together?